Awake in the Dream Radio with Laura Eisenhower and Dr. Dream. Raising your frequency and expanding your consciousness one guest at a time. Welcome! Tonight is July the 16th, 2013. You found yourself at Awake in the Dream Radio. I am Dr. Dream and our co-host, the most incredible, amazing being of light, Laura Eisenhower. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show tonight. Hi, Dr. Dream. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. How are you, Laura? I'm fine. I'm doing well. You know, while this most certainly fits the um, the metaphor of it's like riding a bike, um, it's been a while since we've been on this bike. Yeah, four weeks. I mean, that's like, what, a month? <laughs> right. It's it's wild. The little hiatus and we're on the road and it, things got, um, it, it just gets tough to do all this. So we were doing quite a bit of camping and this and that. So I think we did the right thing by um, by taking the time, but oh my goodness, um, it sure is nice to be back here right now with you and with our listeners. Absolutely, it is. Now we've we we should just touch base a bit because we did a four week um, trip, um, actually two two week trips, and um, we had some really incredible things happen. We I guess we should start off with um, with our our trip to the Midwest. Yeah, well, we we got to share a little bit about it when we interviewed Sylvia Brown, um, the welcoming that we had at the conference. But we were just starting uh, Sundance uh, right after the Sylvia Brown broadcast. So I guess we could start from there, the whole Sundance experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, And what an experience that was. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. Um, We are in this nice little nook in the wilderness um, of Iowa with lots of mosquitoes and, uh, you know, pretty hot weather. But, uh, wow, what a community. Um, Yeah, we we got to really participate and watching the Sundance and just being with the dancers, you know, outside the circle, which we started off doing, was awesome. And then you got to... Uh, do the fire keeping that one night where you were up the whole night. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, the, the whole experience was really fascinating. And, and the interesting thing for us is we, we had never been to a Sundance before. And I, <clears throat> I guess um, a number of the different uh, tribes have uh, Sundance. And this was, of course, with the Star Knowledge family. And... Um, what an incredible experience. And we really went in there not knowing very much about um, what to expect. And I, I like that we went there, you know, pretty much as a, as a clean slate. Um, and so it was, it was a beautiful experience. And really for us, it was about stepping up and, and being present and playing the role that we were there to play within, within the Sundance. But, um, Things took a really interesting turn uh, for you when um, Chief Golden Light Eagle, um, after the second day of the Sundance, invited you in to the circle as a Sundancer for 
the next day. What we didn't know at that moment was it was for the next two days. But um, share with us a little bit about what that was like. Well, I think you must have noticed uh, just, you know, my enthusiasm and just energy outside the circle because we made sure that we were there and uh, were dancing with the dancers outside the circle. And that evening, um, I guess of the following day, I uh, ran into him in the evening and he said, you know, you should jump in the circle and dance with, with everyone. And uh, I, I, I wasn't sure quite what that entailed, if he meant, you know, the fast and everything. And I, I, I assumed it would because it wouldn't be right, you know, to not participate in the way the other dancers were. So I quickly got back to the tent and told you and started to mentally prepare myself. And I got all the stuff together as far as what I needed to wear from the grandmothers um, that was gifted to me. And woke up the next morning and, you know, jumped right in and then, you know, fasted for two days and and danced, you know, in the sun and just really got to absorb the solar rays and just really be a part of the energy. You know, they had been dancing for two days previous, so it was nice to just add just, um, you know, a little bit of energy to what they had already been doing for sure. I mean, it was incredible, but, you know, the only chance one has to have the medicine, which is the water, is in the sweat. So not just fasting but um not not a whole lot of uh of 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 the medicine either unless you know you were in the sweat lodge which you know was really profound you know because you're just so in the focused intention of you know the prayers that we put in the tree um we all filled uh uh little flags with um tobacco offerings uh with our prayers so it was just incredible to have that kind of focus and to be in that energy and just to see you outside the circle and just your beaming aura and smile and I just look over at you and I'm just like yes and just wow and then when it was all over um the hug that I gave you was probably it was like I hadn't seen you in so long or just something about it was just like really deep you know just to just to connect with you after that it's really difficult to have people understand the emotion of being in that energy I mean I will never forget um coming up and seeing you in the circle um, with the other Sundancers for the first time and literally tears running down my face. And it's, you know, it, it's, there, there's such a sacred space and container for all this. Um, and this was in Ogden, Iowa, at, um, where, where they've done many Sundances in the past. Um, but it, it really, it, it's, very, it's a very moving experience. I mean, everything that we went through in those um, four and a half days out there um, was, was so spirit-guided and, and just so opening and so really beautiful. It's, um, I'm so, so much in gratitude for the opportunity we had. And, and you know, it's anyone who's been to any Sundance is, you know, hearing the story of Chief bringing you in. I mean, this is really, um, this is really unusual, and it speaks to me. I mean, I'm not going to project anything, but to me, it speaks of the deep respect um, that Chief Golden Light Eagle has for you and, and the energy that you carry. And I'm, you know, even sitting here right now describing it, I'm, I'm uh, just a bit beside myself, you know, with, with the emotion of of what this experience meant to us and 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 all that we received from it. Oh, I know. And just um, just for people to understand too, you know, Sundance really sets the intention for the year ahead uh, of the four seasons. And um, 
it's really all about preparing for the year ahead and and just to have that chance to to just keep that energy and focus and our dreams and our intentions and our visions and to share in community and be guided by spirit and to just really be at that level, you know, where it's not about parties or recreation or just being unconscious. It's really just about the opposite, really. Um, you know, it's just where I like to be and where I like to put myself. And it's, it was just beautiful. I, I, I yeah, I, I just, uh, I can't say enough. And, um, and then we uh, moved on from that and, uh, you know, just holding it really close to our hearts and just, you know, just the family energy of being a part of it and just, being able to embrace our family and the trip that we went on. Do you want to just sort of introduce how we just jumped from one to the other? Yeah, I mean, literally, we left um, the morning after Sundance and flew back to Los Angeles. We had two nights um, at home, and then it was, you know, off on our next uh, experience, off on the next two weeks. We picked up Maya, we picked up the boys at the airport, and then we made our way uh, up to East Seti Ranch, James Gilliland's place, uh, for Transformation Celebration 2013. And um, it really was beautiful to to shift from uh, Iowa and, and the whole family energetic, Mamie's birthplace. We, we made it to Omaha, all this. But it, it was really spoke to us a family. And then to, to gather our immediate family, our three children together, and take off on this incredible um, journey for some really amazing events was was powerful. Yeah, it really was. And I, I want to say real quick, the grandmothers took such good care of me. I'm just so honoring of them. And I just want to make sure I mention that because it's stuck with me every day since and it will continue to and just the chiefs and everything. So I just wanted to mention that. And yes, I mean, we, we picked the boys up at the airport, got in the truck after picking up Maya as well, and hit the road, drove a thousand miles up north. You did most of the driving. You were amazing. I don't know uh, just how you did it. And, uh, yeah, we, we got to a SETI ranch, and, I mean, we could feel the magic just as we, um, you know, entered just that, that um, the location and drove up and, and then got to really prepare ourselves for our talks. And just, wow, being with James um, was incredible, and all the speakers and all those that helped put the event together, just really incredible energies, you know, with the fire and the sky watching, and, oh, my gosh, we could go on with this one. I mean, it really was something, and, and you're right, we felt it right away. Um, Isetti Ranch is right outside of Trout Lake, Washington. The view of Mount Hood is unbelievable. And then it's not just that. It's that James and all the amazing beings on planet and off planet that he has attracted over the last 12 or so years that that land has such an incredible and beautiful and welcoming energy and and you can just feel it and then the sky watch um each night uh you know we we managed to to not stay out there maybe as long as everyone else did but you know 20 30 ships um shooting stars i mean all sorts of stuff and it was just like wow yeah, definitely. I, and I definitely think that was a particular location that he was drawn to for that particular reason, because it is sort of just kind of a stargate. And, uh, and he was guided in a, such an incredible way to that spot. <clears throat> and all sorts of things definitely take place there. I know people have sort of asked about, well, don't you think a lot of those must have been military? And yeah, I mean, you know, we know that 
some crafts are piloted by military and some aren't, but um, just to get the whole show and just to tap into the different energetics, uh, you know, helps to sort of differentiate. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just the nature spirits and the, uh, you know, the higher beings and just the, the masterful energies of, of those that have, um, you know, been and become ascended masters, I guess you could say, all sort of a part of that experience. And just, it's beautiful to watch James and his team, how they hold sacred space um, and the, the strength and grounding of their intention in everything that they do. Um, we felt incredibly welcomed and supported. And um, we, had, we had an incredible experience there. Our presentations um, went off really well. And it was the first time, for me, it was the first time that... Um, that the boys, Gavin and Gary, um, saw me present anything. And it was the first time that Maya saw you present. And so it was, you know, not that we needed any more pinnacle experiences at ESETI, but, but the family pinnacle experiences for all of us were, were big and undeniable. Yeah, I think that's the first time my kids ever saw me speak, too. I think it's the first time um, all of them saw us. Isn't that true? Um, maybe in Hawaii a couple of years back. Oh, they saw right, you. right, right, right. Oh, actually, they uh, were swimming. <laughs> they were uh, off doing their own thing when I talked. So, you know, they're a little bit younger and all about Hawaii and the beach and the pool. And I didn't, you know, put any real pressure on them. So this was kind of like the big whammy. And then it was amazing to see how interested they were in the other speakers. You know, just I remember Gavin running out and being like, Neil Kramer rocks. And, you know, <laughs> just, you know, just. Maya's conversations, you know, with, with so many people and Garrett connecting with so many as well. And I mean, how incredible that they didn't walk around to sort of like, you know, scratching their head. I mean, they, 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 there were some tears when we left. <laughs> Let's just oh, say that. major. And, and <laughs> I mean, just to, to Gavin's um, credit, I, I think he saw every single speaker and for, you know, a 14-year-old um, to really, and we, we didn't, that wasn't part of the, there were no strings attached that said we're taking you and you need to see all the speakers. Um, he did that out of, you know, his interest and his desire to, to grow, learn, and expand. And, and all, all three of the kids had pinnacle experiences of their own, either in conversations or, you know, Maya one day at the, at the river had an epiphany about life and oneness that she shared with us. And it was just like, whoa, okay, you know, so much for, for um, you know, any family excursions in the summer that don't have us all together. This is, this is too good. We set a nice precedent for the family. Definitely, definitely. And then from there, um, I know we could just talk a lot about each thing, but from there, we went to Portland. And we had, we had a tremendous response in Portland. We did our Heart Speaks Universal Love Galactivation um, at a very nice uh, center there with really wonderful people. And um, again, felt very supported and welcomed in Portland. And we're excited uh, to go back to Portland. Yeah, and it's so exciting to see Facebook friends show up at these things because it's just sort of like, I don't know, it's like this bluff, it's just like, whoa, you know, a, a, a real person, not a thumbnail. And, uh, <laughs> you know, a no, thumbnail it's... picture that we normally see. And so we, we got to see some, some great friends there. And then the session work we did, um, which is what we love to do is uh, events and sessions so that people get familiar with us and then know what we're all about. And then they get to experience the one-on-one -on -one, um, and the real, you know, 
activation and work that, that we can assist with. And the boys took right to it. That was their first Galactivation experience, and they were laid out on the floor with everyone else and, and again, really had an impact, and they loved it. And, of course, Maya angeled for us and, and assisted with the, uh, the Galactivation as, as she's done, you know, in years past. And it's just so nice having, again, the family unit together. Yeah, totally. And, and uh, then we were off to Shasta. Wow. Mount Shasta was really incredible. I mean, Mount Shasta is incredible, you know, always, whenever. Um, But going there, we did an introduction evening to the two of us called Life Adventures with Laura and Dr. Dream at the Silk Road Chai Shop um, that uh, our our new friend Lewis um, has there. And and what a great um, evening that was. We, you and I both really liked it. It was, there were I'm 40 people there, I think, but it was, it felt really intimate and we were able to share in a way that we don't normally share. And we'll be doing this in other cities as kind of an introduction um, to what we do. And it's because it went over so incredibly well um, in Shasta and it prepared us for the next day, which was our, um, Heart Speaks Universal Love Galactivation at the Mount Shasta Yoga Center. And, um, you know, all the venues in Mount Shasta are great because the the energy in Mount Shasta is so wonderful. And this venue was fabulous, plenty of room. And um, we had a, a, a really good gathering and people came in from... Uh, points well outside of, of Mount Shasta for this and good showing from our, our Facebook friends and um, just really great energies. We, we had Violet and um, Aaron there in Mount Shasta as our team on the ground, so to speak. And then our new friends um, who we stayed with, Jeff and Marta, uh, you and I stayed in a yurt in their backyard, and the kids had tents, and, and it was, you know, you wake up in the morning, and you get out of the yurt, and you look up, and, and there's Mount Shasta, and just all the beauty of that area, um, including just the beauty of these people. Yeah, abs- yeah, it was just great, and uh, ran into more uh, Facebook friends, just even friends that didn't expect to come to our events. Um, that were there at the uh, co-op, you know, seeing Gail Cullen and, you know, Amaya, I think his name is, and and then Guy Quinton, you know, I could just name all our friends that might be listening to the show tonight, and Pamela Melcher, of course, and uh, others uh, before that. And yeah, we had just quite the view. I I couldn't believe our experience, just where we stayed on top of the intimate setting of sharing, you know, our life adventures up until the point we met and after, and then, uh, you know, I got a chance to really focus in on, you know, the Sophia Magdalene energies the following night before the Galactivation, and yeah, it felt great. It really did. Um, I liked the way it all um, happened. It, it just, uh, just, just really worked out, and during a Mercury retrograde, I didn't even notice it was a Mercury retrograde until we got home, and then it was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> then we knew right away. as like the phones, the, the computer, nothing, nothing wanted to work when we got back. There is a really beautiful energy on the road that resonates very deeply for, for both of us, and um, so that I'm sure we will be expanding into in the future. It's just these are incredible times. The energies are are just so available, and and the the opportunities for heart expansion are so right there. Um, 
really loving all of this. Now, you know, we've got we've got so much tonight. Let's let's dive right in with your astrological forecast, uh, which I'm sure people have been missing uh, in the last four weeks. Well, this is, you know, a nice week, I have to say. Um, there's a grand water trine, and it's basically has been in effect since late June. It's going to continue to be influential till August 2013. The grand water trine uh, is uh, with Mercury, Mars, and Jupiter and Cancer trine, Neptune and Chiron and Pisces trine, Saturn and Scorpio. And so trine aspects mean that there is natural harmony. Um, and it's, it provides real good support for our forward motion and greater awareness of universal truths. It just, it's like everything's just kind of flowing. Um, it can be just a great time to just kick back um, and relax and rejuvenate. But it's kind of good to push ourselves a little bit because uh, trying aspects don't really push us in the way that square aspects do. And although square aspects are considered tense and uh, can be very challenging, they push us. And they challenge us in positive ways if we can see them as such. Sometimes trying aspects just sort of, it's like all so easy that we don't even recognize the opportunities in front of us and we don't walk through those doorways. So um, maybe a little bit of a balance between relaxing and just noticing the action we can take and how easy it will be to make things happen, you know, things connected to our passions and our purpose and just, you know, initiating things that might uh, have not been easy to in the past because of a, you know, blocks in ourselves. Um, so that trine's happening this week. Also, Uranus is going into retrograde, and that's uh, really going to hit us on Monday. And uh, Uranus is the planet of rebellion and liberation, so it's it's a good time to make a breakthrough and uh, also to have courage to break free from something that just feels restrictive or inauthentic, you know, something that might have been um, – bringing one down for some time, but there's just been no real permission to just say enough already um, because it starts to go inward and it starts to force us to, you know, act, I guess you could say, because that inner tension, it just creates that, that push. Um, But no matter what, it's a great week for transformation. It's really a great week to uh, just really pay attention to the things that are, you know, alerting us to what needs to just be addressed within ourselves. Um, Saturn uh, in Scorpio in this trine aspect, you know, tends to do this. It brings out sort of a healing crisis. Uh, and, and a healing crisis can sometimes, you know, feel like, yeah, a crisis, but because it's healing crisis, it's a good crisis because it alerts us to what we need to work on. And uh, with, with the grand trine on top of that, it's going to be with grace, grace and ease. Um, just the opportunities to really just smooth things out and utilize the positive energies to transform them without the drama and chaos that can result from stuff that ends up coming up to the surface. So I just think it's going to be a good week um, in general. There's a lot more to share. So if people are, you know, interested, check out our newsletter. It's the full report. And, uh, you know, for, you know, more individual understandings of one's natal chart and how they work with energy, you know, you can get a session with me. And, of course, Dr. Dream and I do combined sessions and all that info is on, a, you know, healthyfamilynow.com. Just want to mention that. That's awesome. This is, um, <clears throat> I just love how you express how the energies are, are lining up because I understand that, that there's always, you know, the option of going um, to a, a lower energy with it or taking a look at it and going with a, a higher energy with it um, based on the, recognition of of how you know things are are playing out and so um i feel very enthusiastic about the rest of this week 
Yeah, it's really important to remember this stuff because grand trines don't happen every day. And if we can really embrace just the, 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 the grace and ease of, of working stuff out, um, it's just it's, it's, it's hugely important just to keep the peace and, and to take everything to a higher level. But my gosh, I mean, even more of our trip, we got to meet Dane Wigington, who is our guest, and I'm just so thrilled. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, we, 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 we have an amazing show tonight. Well, tonight is most certainly a special evening, and um, it's it's really an honor and a pleasure for me to to introduce our guest tonight. Uh, Dane Wigington has a background in solar energy. He's a former employee of Beckville Power Corp and was a licensed contractor in California and Arizona. He's been engaged in constant climate geoengineering research for over a decade. Now, his personal residence, which Laura and uh, the boys and Maya and I had a chance to visit um, in the last week or so, uh, was featured in a cover article on the world's largest renewable energy magazine, Home Power. He owns a 1,600-acre wildlife preserve next to Lake Shasta in Northern California. Dane began to focus, on, uh, focus all his efforts and energy on the geoengineering issue when he began to lose very significant amounts of solar uptake due to ever-increasing solar obscuration uh, caused from the aircraft spraying. And he noted significant decline in forest health. We're going to talk about that quite a bit. Um, Extensive testing and research into the geoengineering issue was commenced and has continued since 2002. He is the lead researcher for geoengineeringwatch.org and has investigated all levels, levels of geoengineering from stratospheric aerosol geoengineering um, to HARP. And he's appeared in numerous films and radio interviews to explain the environmental and health dangers we face on a global level from geoengineering, it is—it's um, my honor to uh, to introduce Dane Wigington. Dane, are you with us? Yes, Dr. Reem and Laura. Thank you very much for uh, addressing this this most critical issue and helping us to expand awareness on it. Well, it's really, really great to have you here, and um, you just are doing amazing work. And it's just such important information to get out there. Let's just jump right into it, though. You know, maybe for those who don't even understand the term. What, how can we define what, what is your definition of geoengineering? Yeah, that's important to, to get a clarification on that out the gate. Uh, global geoengineering is weather modification on a planetary scale, which alters all climate systems. And, and we believe right now the length of time these programs have gone on and the scale that they are on has, in fact, affected the entire weather system from top to bottom. And at, at this point, none of us know truly natural weather. In fact, we none of us, uh, or a few of us alive today may have known truly natural weather as these programs have been going on for over six decades. But when I came to the Pacific Northwest, just to give a, a quick background on how I got onto this, and, and I built this uh, off-grid home, which you guys have already mentioned, and uh, the grid patterns that were appearing above my home on various days blocking so much of my solar uptake, clearly something was going on. And this is the last battle I ever wanted. I, I'm not a political person. I'm not a, an activist of any type. But once one looks at the uh, all the ramifications from these programs, the fact that you can't walk out your door and breathe without pulling in a lung full of toxic heavy metals, and the fact that these programs are poisoning the entire web of life from the clouds to the ground, quite simply, um, we are facing a, a very real and imminent and immediate um, danger 
and it, it, this is a battle that simply must be fought. So we're, we're, we're trying desperately to make people realize that this, this should be a priority issue. Of all the other issues we face, of which there are many, if this issue is not dealt with, nothing else will matter. Absolutely. So, Dane, take us into it, you know, a little bit more. I mean, six, six decades, 60 years of geoengineering, and, and people still really aren't, you know, in, in certain circles and in a very broad sense, aren't aware of what's going on. And so give us, give us a little more of the deeper history of this and, and like, how this came to be. Well, I, I think like all destructive human endeavors, it comes into be from a pursuit of power and control. And of course, if one controls the weather, uh, as, as Scott Stevens, he's a friend of mine, and as he eloquently says, if one controls the weather, uh, one controls the planet and, uh, and, the, and the population. So the stated goals, for example, from documents, one document we found on the NASA archives, I found um, it was from 1966, 80 pages long, uh, outlining the full scope and scale of the programs at that time, budgets in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and again, back to power and control. They felt they could manipulate the weather systems to their benefit strategically, and of course, uh, the American public would like to think that this is somehow for their benefit, but um, they are uh, are really cannon fodder in this equation as well, because we see that the multinational corporations, defense industry contractors, will throw the American population under the bus as fast as, as any other population. So we see certain areas droughted out. We have, you know, the obvious vultures feeding on the carrion here, Monsanto and so forth, that, you know, with their drought-resistant seeds. And, and we have areas that appear to be droughted out. And then uh, local small farmers are forced to sell for pennies on the dollar. And big ag comes in, buys everything up, and maybe the rain starts falling again. We saw a scenario like that in, in uh, Australia, and so there's a lot of aspects to this, but, but overall, it appears in short summary now that over many decades of hampering the Earth's natural systems, poisoning the air, soils, and waters, ripping apart the atmosphere, and geoengineering particularly, it's the, the scientific data regarding what they do to the atmosphere is very clear. In fact, we'll get into that in a little bit because we've just, we have some groundbreaking data since you guys have been here on, on the the atmospheric um, penetration now of UVC, but they have done so much damage that now it appears that they're doubling down on these programs, which is what we would expect for the military-industrial complex. Uh, just like the Corexit in the Gulf, I, I use that as an example because it's, it's so apropos here that as, when the Gulf of Mexico, when they started to use Corexit, this is the uh, oil disbursement, if people don't know what that term means that's banned in many countries, but they used it here. They used it even when the EPA told them not to use it. And the goal of Corexit, is, this chemical, is to disperse the oil and hide it, even though, by some reports, the Corexit made the Gulf oil spill 52 times more toxic. They didn't care because it helped to hide it from the public. And when you had an independent oil analyst like Matt, Matt Simmons spoke on CNN about how the Corexit was keeping the oil from surfacing, dispersing it along the seafloor, that there was a huge uh, lake of oil, if you will, at the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico now. Uh, he was found dead in his swimming pool the next night, floating face down. So this is, this is hard fact. This is, this is how these uh, people operate back to geoengineering. Um, they've done so much damage now that it appears they're uh, having to do yet more to hide it. It's like the drug addict who's trying to get off drugs by injecting more. And, and there are many other 
potentially nefarious things going on here uh, besides the obvious of trying to control the weather. So there is nothing good in these programs. There's nothing benevolent. And for the our military brothers and sisters who are carrying out these programs, being told they're doing something benevolent, it couldn't be further from the truth. We're simply trying to get this to the light of day so that the people carrying out these operations realize that they are exterminating themselves and their posterity along with the rest of us. Right. That's that's a hard one to gag down. I realize all that. If people understood um, to try to, uh, if, if you'd like, I mean, to lay out exactly what this is doing to the environment, Dr. Dream and Laura, would that be uh, something you want me to elaborate on so people understand the full ramifications of... Yeah, let's yes. let's go there. Let uh, this is a tough conversation, but let's let's dive in as it were. It's tough, but I'll finish with what people can do to affect this equation, which is a lot. So, what we see with when you saturate the atmosphere with particulates, in this case, toxic metal and chemical particulates, uh, many of which we are aware of. Uh, some we're not sure what we're looking for, so I'm sure we haven't identified everything they're spraying, but they have put over the last six decades so much metal into the atmosphere that global dimming, a term that many are not familiar with, this refers to the amount of direct sunlight that no longer reaches the surface of the planet. It's fully 22% on average in many areas higher still. It takes a lot of metal to block that much sunlight. This metal is settling down, of course, and I, as I have communicated uh, a lot over the last few years, we have seen so much metal fall in the Pacific Northwest, that our soil pHs have changed 10 to 12 times toward alkaline. And what, what people don't know, in fact, uh, the scientific community is still learning about, you have so many microorganisms that affect so much of Earth's life support systems. Uh, in fact, there's a microorganism called syringi that um, actually inhabits uh, plant foliage. It's, it's lifted into clouds and weather systems where it helps to ice nucleate. Um, th this microorganism is felt now to affect perhaps as much as 80% of precipitation. And we don't have any idea what the, the metals and chemicals that are being dispersed do to this microorganism, although we see rain patterns disrupted horrifically globally. So from the clouds to the ground, all life, the entire chain of life is being completely disrupted and, and really what amounts to being literally poisoned by these bioavailable metals. Um, it, it sterilizes soils and, and then what do we see when you sterilize water um, sources and, and microorganisms in soils, what happens? Then the, then the non-beneficial organisms move in like fungi. And so it, it's the same as a human body. What happens when you saturate the human body with uh, antibiotics? Uh, many times fungal infections ensue. So now we have a species extinction rate today of, the, by, based on the latest figures, 200 species a day. Uh, we're approaching that number of being lost every single day. 70 to 80% of that is fungally related. So again, all these dots connect. And uh, the, the startling discovery, which we're just putting the dots together on now, I, I think I might have mentioned to you, Dr. Dream and Laura, that we, we've had donated some expensive UV metering equipment is brand new and we have a very very qualified technician he's been at it for 40 years he's a he's a global expert doing this uv metering and in the last we've only been at it for about f four days since we got everything up and running but we're getting significant levels of uv c 
showing up. UVC is, according to World Health Organization and other governmental agencies, is supposed to be completely stopped about 30 kilometers up. And we're getting readings on the surface. Now, we're trying to corroborate this. I want to qualify what I'm saying. We have not had enough time to um, put everything in place before a, a full conclusive disclosure. But back to the microorganisms and what we're doing to them, not only are they exposed to bioavailable metals, but now if they're being exposed to UVC, not UVA or UVB, but UVC, which is the final band width of UV radiation before you hit X-ray, this is the same bandwidth that's used to sterilize operating rooms. It kills, it kills microorganisms again. So we're being exposed to this. Um, we're seeing horrific damage to trees, foliage in Northern California. And this ought to paint a pretty dire picture to people. We're breathing this stuff in. It's toxifying our soils and waters. Um, it is tearing the atmosphere apart. No ozone layer, no life on Earth. And we are, we are on this track. So I, I'm trying... We can. The planet can, if, if these programs, again, came to a halt, um, so much change in direction would occur in, in a positive way. But quite simply, it is, it is a crisis. It is an emergency, literally, to, to bring these programs to light. We, we don't have time to wait on this. Right. So, Dane, tell us about the fact that, uh, you know, there are people behind this. There's all sorts of you know, agendas in many different spheres, you know, the chemtrails, the geoengineering, and it all, you know, really connects. What's the end game result as far as they're concerned if it's killing everything? And what will our world end up looking like? And how will things be run and kept alive if we aren't able to stop this? Now, a lot of, um, you know, you bring up a great question, Laura. There's a lot of all over the board uh, explanation for why they're doing this. You know, people, I, I, some people infer that it's their goal to kill everything off. And I I don't see anything to back that up. I, what I see is, uh, as, we've, as we've seen in so many other areas of, quote, scientific uh, research, they, they run horribly amok. And a lot of the scientists, I mean, I, I use the term loosely because so many are, are truly blind to anything other than the particular area of experiment that they are, quote, unquote, trained in. So in the case of geoengineers, like, David Keith and Ken Caldera, both of whom I've, I've met and conversed with face-to-face, -face. Um, these guys live in bubbles. They seem to have little to no knowledge of anything other than um, the proposals of geoengineering. In the case of David Keith, when he was asked on the air about the effects of these uh, aluminum particulates, it was a question I asked him in an international conference had there been any health studies done whatsoever? And his answer was, was startling from a quote-unquote scientist. He said, have we done any studies on the human health effects? And, and No. Could terrible things happen tomorrow? We don't know. That's not the kind of answer one expects from a quote-unquote scientist. And when another bioscientist from Stanford, who I know, cornered David Keith, who's from Harvard, on his knowledge of human microphages and, and the effect of these particulates which form plaques on the uh, human uh, nerve endings, he had no knowledge of the human immune function, it seemed, whatsoever. So these programs can get going because of military, industrial, strategic purposes. Now you have Russia and China involved. Um, it's, it's a virtual tug-of-war with the atmosphere, and you know we can't know uh, in totality what's going on. But it seems that once they start using these weapons, everybody feels that they can't stop because the other person won't. And so you have this race to the bottom. And um, now the consequences, unfortunately, are total. And the 
we've seen some examples when Pakistan, this was two to three years ago, Pakistan started showing some real resistance to U.S. policy. And almost immediately, Pakistan found 20% of its country underwater. Many people might remember the floods in Pakistan. In Thailand, about two years ago, uh, the, the Thai government refused a, a U.S. base for they were told it was for weather monitoring. I think the Thai government knew it was for weather modification. They they drug their feet, and suddenly Thailand found itself under devastating floods. So these dots truly connect. And, and again, besides the strategic purposes, they're doing damage, horrific damage to the climate system. So the more they spray, the more they use harp to manipulate jet streams, the more they have to spray. And, and the more they uh, decimate the ozone layer, affect atmospheric oxygen content, atmospheric water content, all of which are what used to block UVC. Now UVC is coming through. So now we think their logic is this. It's, it's not very sound logic, but they, they feel they have to spray even more of these reflective particulates to block what was once blocked naturally without uh, toxic chemicals. Now they're having to use more of these chemicals and so forth to, to mitigate for the damage they've already done from doing this in the first place. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a very negative circle. It's just, it's, it's as crazy as anything I've ever heard. Now, we sort of glossed over a, a statistic that you said earlier, and that is that two, over 200 species a day are going extinct on this planet. Can you just Explain that because I'm sitting here and my my mind is boggled by this. Well, while we're watching Trayvon Martin, and I'm not I'm not downplaying the significance of, of what whatever happened there. It's, but I'm saying that um, when one reflects the, the two week or three week media show on that, while the, the, the literally the planet's life support systems are imploding, it puts it into perspective that these are just big mass distractions for us. To, to make people have no comprehension of the of what's going on, like the species extinction rate of it's approaching 200 a day. Yes, that that is the figure I stated, and that's correct. And now many people will counter with, well, uh, species have always gone extinct. 99% of all species that ever lived are extinct. Like somehow trying to paint the fact that this is normal. This is not normal. And in fact, this is about 10,000 times background extinction rate. 10,000 times. That's 1 million percent of normal. Nine out of 10 biologists interviewed today will admit we are in the sixth great mass extinction on planet Earth today. So this is, this is not a joke. It's not alarmism. It's reality. And quite simply, um, we are in a fight for life at this point. There's, there's no exaggeration to that. And, and this horizon is very immediate. It's not centuries out. It's not decades out. It's here now. Abrupt climate change has already been triggered, and, and this is where I want, want to really clarify. This is not about Al Gore. It's not about carbon credits. It's about reality. And, and the biggest elephant in the room in regard to climate disruption is global geoengineering. And, and I want to qualify that. I'm not saying it's the only cause of environmental degradation or climate disruption. We have not been very good stewards of our planet, plain and simply. But... I'm saying that this one factor that is ignored, this giant and growing elephant in the room, is the single greatest causal 
factor of climate disruption of all. And if the planet had been allowed to respond on its own for the last six decades, without the boreal forest being poisoned, without the atmosphere being ripped apart, without the Earth's natural response mechanisms being hindered, I think we would be in a very different place today. And this is, we have a, a parallel era, uh, Dr. Dream and Laura, that, that we can look at with carbon counts about 25% higher than they are today. And it's a very recent era called the Pliocene Epoch, 5.2 million years ago. And we had, uh, the Western U.S. was very lush. It wasn't, um, it wasn't burning to the ground, baking and burning as it is now. And that's likely what we would have if it were not for geoengineering and HARP manipulating our systems. Now, for the military-industrial complex, why this is unpalatable for them is because during the same era, sea levels were about 100 feet higher than they are today. And this simply does not uh, work for them with modern civilization. The implications of 100 foot higher sea levels, I think we can all figure that out. I mean, most of or, uh, a high percentage of civilization is located on coastlines. But if we look at this in, in summary context, in the military industrial's mindset, they would, it seems, rather kill the planet in order to sustain the status quo a slight bit longer, as opposed to accepting what can't be stopped now and uh, whatever happens to the coastlines, at least the planet would sustain life. Does that make sense? Yes. So we have a choice to make. And right now, based on all available data, people talk about, for example, Al Gore's uh, climate modeling was wrong. The IPCC, which is the largest scientific panel ever created in human history, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, 2,000 plus of the world's top climatologists, People suspect that all their data is wrong, it's all alarmism, and that nothing's really going on. Well, they're right about one thing. The data is wrong from the IPCC. I have 1,000-page IPCC manuals here. I've been at that study for 15 years. And their manuals are indeed wrong, but they're not wrong in the direction that the public thinks. Those manuals are far, far short of how advanced our situation is and how dire it is, far short. And I'll give an example of that that I hope people remember as this year unfolds. The IPCC has stated that the polar cap, the Arctic ice cap, will remain intact probably till the end of the century. All current data indicates we will likely have an ice-free Arctic this year or next. That's almost 100 years ahead of their modeling. And I want to use that as an example to point out on, on other aspects as well. We are much, much farther into the curve than people understand. Abrupt climate change is happening now. Methane expulsion, another consequence of altering the Earth's climate systems, is happening now. Uh, methane expulsion, to elaborate on that, uh, the Bermuda Triangle, when, when the ships uh, go to the, ground, uh, to the bottom intact, this is a result of even slight temperature variations on the seafloor cause entire fields of methane hydrate, this is stored methane on the seafloor, to release. And that aerates the, bottle like a, or the water like a bottle of champagne. Ships have no buoyancy. They go to the bottom. Now, those are smaller methane fields, and you have huge fields in the Arctic already releasing. In fact, the last data from, I think they're scrubbing all the data now. They don't want any word of this to get out. But the last on-site observations we had from a Russian research vessel said that they were seeing plumes of methane from the seafloor a kilometer wide, and they were seeing thousands of them. So this methane rises to the surface, goes into the atmosphere, covers the planet literally like a sheet of glass. Heat comes in, doesn't get out. And, you know, we, we, 
the reason we feel this data is accurate because we can see it on satellite methane imagery. So the point I'm getting at is that people need to take a good hard look around, get past the media spin that even see articles today saying the earth is getting colder. And I'm not sure which earth they're talking about. It's not <laughs> this one. So um, people need to wake up, get independent data, and the goal of all my research is to not get anybody to believe me, but to get them to look, to get them to research. So this actually leads me to my next question. You know, so many people uh, accept disease as part of the human experience. So can you share what all this is doing to our health so that people can begin to recognize the assault um, on their health or what their experience on a health level is not natural? <laughs> uh, gosh, that's a great question, Laura, because it's, it's anything but natural. natural and and the, the, the list of effects from geoengineering are absolutely vast. I'll, I'll go over uh, the, the major items. First, in, in a very primary sense, when you, when you block sunlight, you're blocking certain bands of UV that are, in fact, beneficial. And, and you, it's, it's difficult to separate, um, it's impossible to separate the beneficial UV from the non-beneficial. And now that, other than the fact that the, the most lethal bands of UV being UVC, which used to be blocked about 100,000 feet up into the atmosphere, are now reaching the surface. So now in order to get vitamin D, we're exposed to this very lethal uh, UVC. So it blocks vitamin D. Now it's exposing us to UVC. Those are both negative aspects. The, the toxic metal particulates. Now any particle, I don't care what it is, is lethal to the human respiratory system. The smaller the particle, the worse it is. Now you start adding metal, toxic metal particles, worse still. In the case of aluminum, uh, some of the major ailments we know that it causes, ALS, Alzheimer's, autism, ADD, uh, a long list of other degenerative diseases that are immune system related. Uh, I recently took a trip to Harvard, or Stanford, excuse me, met with a bioscientist there, and uh, they have conclusively now stated that these uh, inhalation of aluminum particles or, or a saturation of the system with aluminum particles also creates obesity, type 2 diabetes. And these particles are so small, they're in the nanometer range, they're so small they enter straight to the lung lining, go right into the bloodstream. According to internationally recognized neuroscientist Russell Blaylock, and people can look his name up. Again, I don't want anybody to, to take my word for it. My research is all based on the best data out there. Um, but these particles enter through the lung lining into the bloodstream. They adhere to cell receptors like a plaque and slowly shut down the body's systems. Now let's add barium, strontium, manganese. Uh, these all have synergistic effects. And in the case of aluminum and mercury, we all have mercury in us. Now we all have aluminum in us. Studies we were given recently indicated that the combination of these two metals can increase toxicity as much as 10,000%. So both metals are very toxic individually, but when they start to combine, much worse things happen. So in addition to this, we have uh, these bioavailable metals are being uptaken into all plant life. Uh, the latest data we have from Norwegian and German researchers says that this is causing horizontal gene mutation, meaning there is no organic anything anymore. So uh, th again, back to the entire chain of life being affected by these particulates, it's sterilizing soils, it's sterilizing waters, it's toxifying our air, it's poisoning the boreal forests. That in turn reduces the forest's ability to produce oxygen, 
global oxygen content is plummeting. We have uh, th this methane I explained earlier as it makes its way to the surface of the ocean. The methane is acidifying the oceans because some of that methane dissolves in the seawater. And that is um, now affecting the ocean's ecosystem horrifically. And again, we've done a lot to, to uh, damage the oceans. But right now, global plankton populations are half what they should be. The ocean is the single largest oxygen generator on the planet. And so, again, from the oxygen we breathe being diminished, or the, the quantity of oxygen we have available to us, to the air we breathe being toxified, our soils, waters being contaminated with these elements, I mean, the list just goes on and on. And, and we just did a, a U.S. Forest Service biologist here in Northern California just did a survey of terrestrial insects in Siskiyou County, 90% decline. He surveyed the aquatic insect life, same county, for tributaries for the Sacramento River, drinking water for Southern California, 90% decline. Uh, we're in a crisis of the first order, Laura, no question. So, so yeah. Dane, what, what does it take? I mean, these are, these are staggering statistics. Um, I, I want you to talk about what people are seeing in like what you're seeing on your property and, and what other people are noticing because you can't help but notice what's going on. And, and then I'll have a follow-up. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, Dr. Dream, with um, a lot of people, I've, I've been really astounded over the years that it, it seems so many people, their, their head could literally be on fire and they wouldn't notice it. And um, that, I, that's, that's really perplexing to me on the forest here. Ten years ago, was extremely vibrant. Where, where I live, the normal annual rainfall is about 70 inches. That's almost rainforest levels, and we, it was just an absolute explosion of life in the springs, uh, springtime. It, it's almost a completely different ecosystem now. Over the last 10 years, the assault from geoengineering has been so horrific, and, and again, all these effects I mentioned: the toxifying of the soils, the waters, the intense UV now is burning the foliage. Um, we have soil microbes being killed. We have the bioavailable aluminum when it hits the root systems. Trees sense that toxin and they shut down nutrient uptake to protect their DNA. So they die a slow, protracted death. Now, the, the, these particulates they spray from the aircraft, I, I guess I didn't go into that at the beginning of the show for people who don't understand uh, how this is dispersed. These are aircraft disbursements. We believe military and commercial aircraft are being used. Uh, commercial pilots and carriers not aware that they're involved with these programs. The aircraft are simply being used for this purpose. But these particulates, as they're sprayed into the atmosphere, are desiccants. They absorb and accrete all available moisture. So we almost never see dew anymore, almost never. And, and that pulls the moisture out of the foliage as well. So we have this, these disrupted weather systems where the western U.S. is literally being baked and burned to the ground with the, the trees dying. There's dead trees everywhere here. They're dying more by the day. Um, the fuel moistures are at record lows. You go to the center of the country, and you can draw a line from north to south about in the center of the country. People can look this up on the U.S. Drought Monitor, very easy to find online. On the other side of that line, they're experiencing record rains. Now, a lot of those areas that are experiencing record rains were also under record drought only a year ago. But, again, this experiment is ongoing it looks in many ways as if they're just by the seat of their pants on this, that they're trying anything, everything they can to, to uh, do something positive, and, and you can't. I mean, you, all you can do is harm these systems. You can't interfere with them and help them. So um, we're seeing these radical, radical weather disruptions where uh, 
it's it's extreme protracted drought in one area you throw a rock and you're in extreme flooding so uh, the ecosystems are, are being hurt everywhere and even where it's raining that rain is still toxic you still have all the other effects I mentioned and the trees are still dying uh, there's an article out in the last few days of all the oak trees dying in England uh, again that species extinction rate includes plant and animal so um, that's why we have numbers that are so high but uh, this is picking up momentum, and I, this is something I have to stress to people too, Dr. Dream and Lawrence. This is a non-linear equation. Sometimes people think, well, it's taken this long for it to get this bad. It'll take that much longer for it to get worse. That is not the case. This is not a linear equation. It is picking up momentum exponentially by the day, and our situation is absolutely critical. Bringing these programs to light and to a halt immediate, as soon as possible is absolutely critical. And I think if we can just raise awareness of them to the point where those participating understand what it is they're doing, I think we stand a damn good chance of stopping them. So, Dane, is one of the factors that keeps the, at least the American population in the dark, so to speak, is, you know, all the BS from Al Gore and, and everything else? I mean, so, so then people have attached themselves to, you know, a convenient untruth. Um, that then has it difficult for them to see what's going on? Because when you explained that to us when we were visiting you, you know, we then flashed back to a, a week and a half before we saw you. We were up in um, uh, Mount Hood area of uh, Washington State, and we drove past uh, trees where, where the tops the, – the, the trees looked okay where they were standing, but the tops of the trees were like all like burned. Um, and then we we saw that um, there at your place. I, I'm just wondering, like, why are people? Why are there so many people that just can't seem to get this? And like tooth and nail, as if they were the guilty parties or they were involved, they want to to take down any information. And and I'm sure you get this all the time in what you do. What what's up with that? I do. It's a it, it's a great question you you pose, and I do face this all the time. I think there's several aspects to it. One, people don't want to believe that the party is over. They don't want to believe that they're not going to be able to drive their Winnebagos around from now till forever. Two, Al Gore has done much harm for the cause, and and with his data, and for those who think his data was alarmist and uh, incorrect. They're half right. It was incorrect, but it was anything but alarmist because it's far short of how bad things truly are. For Al Gore, though, to make those films, to make that film um, An Inconvenient Truth, while he used, I, I believe it was 10 times the energy of his neighbors, no solar, flying around in a jet, it's, it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking that he, he couldn't figure out you know, the public perception once that was known. He owns stock in BP. Um, Al Gore's a hypocrite, plain and simple. He's a hypocrite. So once that was known, that so polarized people that so many are absolutely unwilling to look at the truth no matter how glaring it is. There's been great spin put on this. And, and another part of that, Dr. Dream, I, I hear this all the time from somebody. They, they'll pick up a little bit of information here or there. They don't do any research, but they'll glob onto something and they'll beat that drum. For example... You hear people saying that, well, Antarctic ice is expanding. Well, that's, that's true to a very small degree. One small ice shelf in Antarctica has, in fact, expanded some. There's two reasons for that. 
One, the temperatures are warmer, which allows the air to carry more moisture. They're artificially ice nucleating with geoengineering, which we can elaborate on in a minute. They can make it snow. So that snowpack is adding to that surface area of that ice shelf. And two, the second major reason that ice shelf is expanding somewhat, and this is only one small region, because the land-based ice in Antarctica is melting so rapidly, it's flooding that area with fresh water, and fresh water freezes more readily than seawater. So they'll take one little uh, micro aspect of this and try to use that as an excuse because Al Gore is an idiot and, and there's a tiny area of Antarctic ice expanding. Suddenly the whole rest of the world goes blank, and the fact that the cryosphere is, is literally imploding uh, of, 100, or of 1,400 glaciers just surveyed, 1,396 are gone or rapidly declining. I mean, there's no question that the planet is in total meltdown, but, but people have to get past their, their polarizing programming and, and look at reality. And, but I, I would say this, that the conditions on the ground are unraveling so quickly that I don't think they can hide this past perhaps the end of this year at best. And so there's going to be a lot of explaining to do. And back to the Arctic ice itself, that's a huge element in this equation. I think an element that carries much more gravity than people understand. It goes far beyond the climate. If the Arctic ice cap implodes this year, if there's an ice-free Arctic this year, that will require a whole lot of explaining, a whole lot of reevaluation. And I think to such a degree that people might start to realize that everything they've been fed is a lie, that uh, this situation we all face is at, at a climax, and this could even plug into, I, I know this might sound unconnected, but I believe it is connected, the fact that Homeland Security has ordered, I, I believe the last figure I saw was 2.2 billion rounds of 40 caliber hollow point. And, you know, there's only one use for 40 caliber hollow point. And, and I would argue this, that there's a lot of events closing in on us. I, I certainly, I study in a lot of arenas, and I, I'm not saying there's not a lot of important things going on. But the climate situation alone is so paramount to the continuation of society as we have known it that as that completely implodes, that society is no longer maintainable. And, and once you have links in the chain starting to drop out, the whole chain comes apart. At that point, you have Katrina times 10,000. You have chaos. And I, I would argue that that may be, I believe that is much closer than most people have any idea of. And and this may even be connected to the ordering of, of such massive amounts of ammunition for the government because um, once there's not enough to go around, I think we all know the law of the jungle ensues. Right. That's wow. What, 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 do, what do you mean with the ice-free Arctic? How, how, how will this be felt? Well, on the, on the Arctic, again, the, the first part that matters, Laura, is that um, – People will know at that point that somebody's been doing a lot of lying or, or, and or the scientific community doesn't know its head from its backside or it's being paid to lie. And I think both are true. You know, you have people that live in bubbles in the scientific community, some of which I know, and others that simply uh, are paid to go to work at 8, come home at 5, and say whatever they're told to say. So as the Arctic ice disappears, there's a lot of ramifications. One, that uh, things are horribly different than people have been told, but two, and more importantly, Back to this methane. The temperature rise is what's creating that methane, causing the methane to release. Geoengineering has altered wind currents. That has altered ocean currents. 
Some of those currents are carrying warmer water into the Arctic right now, melting the ice from underneath. In fact, Arctic ice is melting at about a two-to-one ratio, uh, twice as fast from underneath. So no matter how much geoengineering they do in the skies, which is a lot, the poles are basically covered. This is why the ozone holes are there. They start, it appears they started experimentation on Antarctica early on because nobody was there. In the late 40s and 50s, they were, um, it, it appears they were really, really uh, experimenting heavily in those areas. Thus, the southern hemisphere ozone hole. Now we have a massive northern hemisphere ozone hole because they've had to start spraying over the Arctic to try to slow down the melt rate amongst whatever other strategic experimentation they're doing. But as they do this, again, it's painting oneself into a corner. They can create large-scale temporary cooling anomalies at the cost of a worsened long-term overall warming. So back to the ice, as they are uh, frantically trying to spray to keep the sun off the ice, and and the the sun almost never shines in the Arctic. If you look at uh, footage of the Arctic, which I do daily, it's it's a complete geoengineered sky all the time. But as they're doing this, they're trapping more heat than they deflect. They're shredding the ozone layer. And as that ice melts, now you have an ice cap that reflected 90-plus percent of the sun's incoming thermal energy. Now you have a dark ocean that absorbs 90-plus percent of that energy. So it's called, a, it's called a positive feedback loop, Laura, a climate mm-hmm. feedback loop. It starts to feed on itself. It snowballs. And so now you have the methane releasing. That's covering, uh, saturating the atmosphere like a layer of glass. That starts to create yet more heating, melts yet more ice, yet more methane. You can see the cycle. It's not good. It just sounds like, you know, somebody who's a patient in the hospital who's given so many drugs that you have to medicate the person to deal with the side effects of the drugs until the drugs kill the person. Um, that's a great example. That's, a, that's an absolutely perfect example. This is the pharmaceutical and a cure for planet Earth, and I'm not saying there's not other elements in this equation. I mean, too many people try to put this into one box. I, I believe there's biological testing going on. There's weather, warfare, strategic purposes. But also, in a very uh, primary sense, this is the pharmaceutical cure for planet Earth that is far worse than, than the disease. This is the pharmaceutical cure that will kill the planet if they continue. Your example is, is spot on. Cool. It's, so this, uh, you know, the, the, the other aspects of this, again, uh, the people who should be pointing this out to us, Dr. Dream and Laura, are, for example, environmental groups and so forth, are some of the most apathetic in this whole equation. They will not acknowledge this issue. They want to concern themselves with um, very peripheral environmental problems while the house is burning down. And right. this is, we're, we're very perplexed at this. And so, we're actually creating a web page to try to expose uh, some of these groups, uh, specific individuals who have chosen to put their head in the sand and put their public email contacts so, so that people can uh, start to rattle their cages because uh, it, it's absolutely inexcusable, the environmental groups, and worse yet, the quote-unquote government agencies who are supposed to disclose any type of threat like this, they are literally orchestrated from the bottom to the top to hide these programs. I know that firsthand. Mm. I've been in high-level EPA meetings in Sacramento where I was told in my face the system is rigged. The five top EPA people closed door meeting, and it, we, we were there to try to have them explain to us how they could not see or how they could not detect 
this massive level of particulates that are showing up in dozens and dozens of our lab tests in, in Northern California alone, well, they made it clear that they are told not to look for those things. They are told to look for combustion particulates only, and it doesn't matter what else is in their sample. It goes out the window. So they have set up for these programs for a very, very long time. They, I believe, felt they could uh, play God with these systems indefinitely. It's very clear now they can't. I believe they're in a panic, and that, that's a dangerous situation because they're throwing yet more fuel in the fire, and we, we are in a very downward negative cycle. And this is where people, again, can so many people can affect this equation. I'll allude on that a little bit now. Awareness is graining quickly. People are realizing something is horribly wrong. So if your listeners arm themselves with credible data, we have a good flyer that we put out on geoengineeringwatch.org. We try to mail that out for just what it costs to produce a mail. If if somebody can't afford flyers and, and they really have some activity or, or event that they need flyers for, we try to furnish those for free. Um, so people understand. I mean, I, I have never received penny one from any of this. I've only spent my own money. So this is, you know, anything we distribute, we just try to do it in a way that we can get the most out there that we can. This is this is about trying to preserve some future for our children, and, and that's all it's about. So if you arm yourself with credible data, it's much more effective than pointing at the sky and going into a rant. That doesn't mm-hmm. work. So if, if people have these flyers or if they, are, if they learn a little bit about this, this uh, subject, and they find groups, organizations, and individuals that would care, and they reach out to those people with credible data and a credible appeal to investigate, we, can, we could raise this issue to light uh, much quicker than people would imagine. Right. Yes, and we have those flyers, and it's, they're really good, and we're going to be spreading them all over. Um, what do you feel nature's response is to this, though? I mean, you know, she has an immune system and a life force all on her own. Is this too much for her to be able to kind of break through? Because, you know, people, every time there's a natural disaster, they say, oh, that's, maybe it's natural, maybe it's Mother Earth um, trying to, you know, heal all this. But at the same time, you know, there's these superstorms that they're increasing. Can you speak a little bit about the superstorms and in, in the battle of Mother Earth trying to get herself back? Yes, this is where geoengineering, again, is hampering the natural systems. They're suppressing cyclonic rotations, i.e. hurricanes. They are definitely suppressing hurricanes. They're suppressing tornadic activity. We had, we can see this on the radar. It's very clear. Although we had some devastating tornadoes this year, the overall count was significantly down. And we see when these, on the radar, you can see when these convective cells are exploding, they are hitting them with aerosols, uh, re- really an incredible consistency. And that takes the convection out of the cell, it blows it apart and expands it into a massive artificial cloud. And that's part of their goal, we feel. Again, the, the stated purpose of geoengineering, uh, I, I really should have elaborated on that sooner, the stated purpose on the patents is to slow runaway climate change by creating solar obscuration to block the sun. And again, the, the negatives from that are far exceed any perceived positives. But So we see them doing that. And the cyclonic rotations, back to your question, Laura, are part of Earth's attempts to respond. As the planet starts to superheat, of course, the response is to have more cyclonic rotations, larger hurricanes, starts to cool the planet. But they are suppressing this. In fact, after the brutal hurricane season in 05-06, the insurers along the Gulf Coast and so forth were going to uh, stop insuring anything. And according to the Discovery Channel at that time, 
the U.S. government reinstituted its hurricane suppression program, and amazingly, until Hurricane Sandy, there were no major landfalls. So, and even Hurricane Sandy, um, gosh, that's another event altogether that appears to have been steered into that location, and we can speculate as to why that happened. You know, certainly there are there is great awareness of these programs within the government and within the scientific community. I mean, I've spoken to NOAA scientists, uh, U.S. Forest Service, USDA, Fish and Game, all of whom know these programs are going on. They're alarmed. They won't speak out because they have no First Amendment protection. So in the case of Hurricane Sandy, one could speculate, you know, why did they steer that storm into that location? And the storm, by the way, appears to have been weakened as it approached land because a storm with a 940 millibar center and a thousand mile circulation should have been a cat three or four. Uh, it was barely a cat one. So it appears it was a measured blow. Why was that delivered? Uh, we can't know that, but it could be to show their power. It could be to, to get people to, uh, who, who may have been starting to show resistance to these programs to, it might've been a shot across their bow. It's, it's hard to say, but these cyclonic rotations again, are the planet's attempt to cool itself down and, and rejuvenate ozone, and all of that is being suppressed. So not only are they damaging the ozone layer and, and suppressing Earth's natural systems, they are, uh, in the course of doing that, they're keeping the planet from responding in any way, you know. And it's a, it's a very, very lethal cycle, and it, it simply, it will stop. One way or the other, it will stop. I mean, if they continue, we are on track for something I've stated in many disseminations. It's called Venus syndrome, and, and the term more or less defines itself, where these feedback loops are triggered, and they continue to feed themselves until the planet, our planet, more resembles Venus. And, and this is not alarmism. This is a scientific scenario. I encourage people to look it up, read about it, because we are on this track right now. Uh, this is just so... <clears throat> it's great information to have, but um, it's it, it, it's tough. I I want you, I I invite you, Dane, to really um to really lay out more of of what's going to affect. I, I'm hoping that people that that um, have said to me to my face they don't believe in what what we're sharing about chemtrails. I hope that some of those people will listen to this broadcast, and so. I would love for you to just lay out more of the scenario of where it's headed and what's going to be happening and then really hit the point home of what that means. Um, you know, I mean, it's so noticeable where you live with the diminished rainfall and what's happening to the trees and everything else. It's a little bit different for us, you know, here in these neighborhoods with home, you know, I'm looking out my window, a concrete wall separating me from the next door neighbor. What will we notice in urban settings? I mean, what, what's going to wake up someone who doesn't believe in chemtrails in an urban setting as far as, you know, how it's all playing out? When they turn on their spigot and nothing comes out, when they go to the market and there's nothing on the shelf, that will wake them up. And for those, for those people who don't believe that this is going on in the atmosphere, I challenge them to look at the data because this is not speculation. There is no debate. There's no credible argument. We have film footage of KC-10s, KC-135 spraying at altitude. People can see this at our website, which I, I should have covered earlier, geoengineeringwatch.org. We post geoengineering data only, no politics, and we have this footage there available. So 
again, we have congressional documents uh, outlining global governance of geoengineering. I mean, there's so much data, I, I, I couldn't, I don't want to trudge through it right now, but people can go to our site and see that there is no credible argument against uh, or, or to take the position that they are not doing this. This is, in fact, occurring. And, and as far as what it's going to take to make people believe it, we are heading, we just got articles today that uh, in South America, some of the countries there have had their worst wheat harvest ever. Their tomato crops are crashed. They're being asked not to eat tomatoes or to eat much less in the next couple months. This is only the beginning. Global pelagic fish populations, 94% depleted. These are the, the uh, fish stocks that are, are consumed largely, and this can't be hidden much longer. They're literally crashing. So uh, we, we are right now plunging headfirst into a scenario where there is not enough to go around. And for people who, ha who can't see that, they're not looking very closely. They're watching too much of the Trayvon Martin stories on TV because these wars that are happening in the Middle East has nothing to do with democracy, has only to do with resources. That's all. It's, these are resource wars, and anybody that thinks we would be in Iraq or Afghanistan if their export was carrots or broccoli, they should think again. It's about hydrocarbon, clearly. Uh, in regard to all, all this affects the climate situation, again, for these, for, even these wars in the Middle East, for the power structure to carry out these thousands of daily flights to disperse this material, all of which is just it's literally ripping the atmosphere apart. But in order for them to carry this out, because in their twisted sense of logic, they believe uh, this to be the course of action that will protect their power, they have to have a constant flow of hydrocarbon. So uh, that's what they're after right now in the Middle East, clearly. It's, the, it's uh, a, a, a set of resource wars. And in the case of BP, uh, why, why was BP so accommodated in spite of their massive crimes in the Gulf of Mexico? Because they are the single largest supplier of hydrocarbon to the U.S. military. What a surprise. So, again, these dots are not hard to connect. They're not hard to see, but people have to wake up and look. And I would argue this, Dr. Dream, um, no matter how far people have, certain people have shoved their head into the sand, it's going to get yanked out and quick because we're there. And it's going to come fast and furious. Uh, the... Uh, we we have now created a society that not only cannot be sustained, but is in the process of collapsing. And um, we have a choice. We have a choice. We can ignore it until the last possible second, at which time the brick hits us between the eyes and it's game over. Or we can pull our head out of the sand, uh, stand up, start screaming, make our voice heard, and have something left to save. Because the planet is incredibly resilient. I mean, I, I know you two know this. I, I've, I've been in nature my whole life. I've lived in the forest. I've, I, uh, I know the forest very intimately. And, and I, I've just, it's been so heartbreaking. As I walk through the forest, and I do often, I, I may have shared this story with you guys, and I, I wrote an article about it once, but I was walking through the forest a, a couple years ago and in an area where there, I, I would formerly hear hundreds of tree frogs and I heard one frog, one lowly horse frog, oh. but still, still at his post, still, I could barely, you know, he could barely croak, and it made me cry. It, it made me cry that he, that he was the, the sole survivor, but at the same time, it empowered me. It empowered me that if, if he wouldn't give up, I won't give up, and, and, and how resilient the planet is if we could just simply take it out of the chains that it's in, the geoengineering chains, 
And that, that's exactly what it is. It's a straitjacket on the planet. If we all pulled together, we could free Mother Earth from these chains, and we would see just how resilient she is. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. Now, Dane, you know, certainly your determination is, is more than inspiring for, for all of us. But from a very practical sense, um, you know, it's one thing for me to be out there talking about this, and we do talk about this. And now we're, we've, we're loaded up with flyers and everything. We've got even more to share. Um, but people still don't, don't get it. I mean, you've got all the, the research and everything right there on the tip of your brain. And I know you're still running into people that absolutely eye-to-eye with you will will continue to disagree. How do you handle that? Because I have a feeling a number of our listeners try and talk to their families and their friends and in their communities, and they're getting that same kind of response also. So how, how do you handle it at that, at that point where it's like you put it out there and, and where do you go with, with it? If I could back up here, when I started this, this mission in Northern California, 10 plus years ago, nobody would listen to me. I mean, not even people who knew and respected me otherwise. And all I could hear were, you know, the the proverbial crickets at that point. But as you plant those seeds, and I'm bad about that. I usually like to put the whole oak tree down someone's throat. But um, I've learned to plant (laughs) seeds. and, uh, And those seeds are finding fertile ground because people are looking around and saying something's really wrong with the weather, the sun's too hot on my face, that it starts to break down their filters. And it is much more effective, again, like with the flyer. When I pass a flyer on to somebody, I don't go into a long rant at all. I say, look, there's, there's weather modification programs. The government's not disclosing them. There's no regulation. It's, it's, it's really doing horrific damage to the climate, to our health. Take a look. Please take a look. And people will. You walk away. If you haven't really triggered their alarms, you walk away. And they're reading that almost every single time. And in Northern California now, for example, the, uh, all spectrums of the political uh, uh, arena, like the Tea Party people who had other things on their agenda some years back, and I, I mean weren't, really, weren't looking at this issue at all, and now incredible people there are, are my single greatest source of help. They, they are they, they get it they've you know the, the seeds have sprouted and and now they, they've seen what the administration is doing and, and the amount of lies that are being fed and now they're looking up and, and this is so threatening I think to the human psyche to know that you are being sprayed like a rat from the sky it's so threatening that it takes time to sink in and trigger a deep enough survival response for people to stand up not put their head in the sand and start screaming but it has happened here in Northern California and this is a a not so environmentally minded area, but now the support here is absolutely tremendous. In fact, the apathetic part of the support system here is the quote-unquote environmentalists. They are the ones that are really um, staying in their comfort zones, but but they're coming around, and uh, I I think this is what I would tell people to remember. As frustrating as, as it has seemed in years past that no matter what you show someone no matter what proof you give them that they just don't get it that events are unfolding now so rapidly the climate system is unraveling so rapidly that anybody who is not completely 
um, comatose from, from our society will wake up to this issue. And, it, it, and we are reaching critical mass. And I would say this, the, the awareness of this issue, I think, is much deeper and broader than we realize. And I know that to be the case in academia. And now we have, uh, into this month, we have a film crew coming from New York here to Northern California. We have uh, four pilots going on the air, or, or going, willing to interview publicly, two, mili- two ex-military, two ex-commercial. We have this uh, UVC data, which I don't think can be hidden for long. We're going to, to get that out. There are things that just can't be hidden any longer. And, and, and we're getting responses from, I think I explained to you guys what RTTV is, and people should try to locate that either on their computer or, or Dish Network. I think it's channel 280. RT is putting out a lot of good data. And now we saw RT, or, or Russia, we saw Putin really draw the line in the sand on the GMOs, right? You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Putin really drew a line. And now, from RTTV, I've had some correspondence with um, one of their main talk show people that has really warmed up to this issue. And now, you know, Russia clearly has been involved, but that's why it's hard to get this story out on any medium. But that might indicate to me that that they are changing their position on geoengineering as well. And I, I think right now they're one of the sanest uh, leadership countries out there. I mean, that line in the sand on GMO was, was very encouraging, and, and I think the same thing might be happening with geoengineering. So quite simply, there are so many profound things happening on the ground that they can't hide this much longer. So even people who have been resistant, I, I don't think will be able to stay in their denial much longer. And I mean, I mean a matter of months. I, I, think, I think our threshold is that close. We are reaching critical awareness quickly. Mm, definitely. No matter how discouraging it's been, progress is now really beginning to gain momentum. Definitely, I'm feeling that. Um, you know, but it's just so hard to imagine how they're able to mastermind this type of agenda, especially with so much compartmentalism. You know, and, but, but, but at the top or at, at, on some level, you know, that whole picture is seen as far as what needs to take place to allow this to actually work and be successful on their end. So maybe you could just explain a little bit, and I know you've already touched upon it, but um, you know, maybe there's a little bit more to share about how these technologies work as far as how it utilizes free energy and how they're able to pull this off with so much you know, division. Well, again, as you said it, I think they are compartmentalizing. I mean, I spoke to a, a KC-135 pilot. It's been about four years ago, and sometime out, about two years after I spoke to him, and he didn't know what, what he did up there, um, just flew from here to there, didn't know what it was about. And when he went back to ask questions, the, the last date I got was he was behind a desk medicated. So they do uh, stringently keep people compartmentalized. And I, I think that um, they are, in their way of thinking, you know, they, they the, the normal... Uh, environmentally destructive hydrocarbon source of energy, I, I think, which the power structure has boxed itself into, or at least is willing to keep using. Um, it's just all a negative cycle, you know. I mean, the, the amount of damage the jets alone do flying around up there, let alone the uh, material uh, disbursements they're doing, you know, the, the toxic elements. I mean, it's all a very, very negative cycle, and and we try to. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they would stop of their own accord ever. We have enough psychoanalysis to know that those in power are, by and large, psychopathic, and they, they cannot grasp the consequences of their actions even to themselves. We know that. So what can stop it, again, is, is raising awareness to this point where um, those in the military, 
and there's a lot of great people in the military. There really are good brothers and sisters. And I've been into the, I just went into the military recruiting offices here in Northern California, the Marines, the Navy, the Army. Very cordial guys. Very cordial. In fact, one said he'd already seen uh, some some major uh, film information on this issue, and he was just very receptive, very interested, and. Um, they, they just need to be shown the light or given enough data to make a, a decision on it. And I think we're really reaching that point. We tried to, to do a um, – I did a PowerPoint presentation in, in Northern California about four weeks ago. It's called uh, The Most Important Topic of Our Time. Uh, I think it's got a live updated presentation, The Most Important Topic of Our Time. It's on Geoengineering Watch. That's a very fast-moving – PowerPoint with documents to back up. There's about 110 images, and it's it's probably the the fastest moving, most concise overall summary right now that we have, and we'll update that again soon because we have more data already since then. It's had about, I think it's had about 60,000 YouTube views in in the last few weeks, uh, two weeks plus, and so that's one tool people can use. The the, the the flyers another tool, and on that PowerPoint, we again we have film on that PowerPoint of military tankers at altitude spraying. There's no denying this. So, you know, if you've passed that on to people, then it's pretty hard for them to keep their head in the sand. And, and we cover the extinction rates, uh, Venus syndrome, and everything in between, the boreal forest die-off. Uh, and this stuff is happening very quickly. But that's a critical part. A lot of people won't learn much about this, and they just start ranting to everybody they know. It doesn't do any good. You've got to give them data. Got to give them right. data. So how, how, how does, you might have explained this, but like harp and chemtrails, because somebody's doing the spraying and somebody's doing the steering of, as far as where it all sort of plays out. Um, how, how, do, how do these two affect each other? Thank you for bringing up harp, Laura. That's, that's a huge aspect of, of the whole weather modification issue. And this is, this is one that's particularly hard for people to get their arms around. HARP, the acronym HARP stands for High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. You know, what does that mean exactly? That's an ionosphere heater. What does that mean? It means that they have a facility on the ground. These are huge, massively powerful radio frequency arrays that can beam almost 3 billion watts of power into the ionosphere. Now, even though that's a lot, people still think, well, that's, how could that possibly affect um, the atmosphere or the jet stream? It causes an electrical chain reaction in the ionosphere, heats it. It can heat just the HARP facility. We think there's 26 of these facilities around the globe, but just the original installation called HARP in Glucona, Alaska, is felt to be able to heat the ionosphere, areas as big as 500 square miles, to 15,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, that, that should shock the hell out of people by itself, that anybody would even attempt such a thing. But this is exactly what they're doing. As they heat the atmosphere, it causes a bulge in space. That causes a void below. And that, in turn, steers the jet stream. And what we see now, as the West bakes, what we believe is going on right now, they're creating massively strong high-pressure zones over the West. That spins the jet stream clockwise over us. It goes down. It, it's, it's been very anomalous this year. People can look this up. Don't believe me. The whole scientific community is scratching their heads as to how the jet stream could be in these configurations. And again, we believe a direct result of the HARP facilities. And they're taking this moisture, and it, and it appears to be utilized with what they're trying to do in the Arctic with trying to preserve the ice. So it appears they're in the mode of using the HARP uh, facilities, the ionosphere heaters, to manipulate the atmosphere, steer the jet stream, and, and conduct their experiments in the Arctic at any cost 
to the rest of the planet. And that's about as short-sighted as, as they could be. So, again, all these things decimating the ozone layer, allowing back to the beginning of this conversation, more UV radiation, tremendously more to come in. We're seeing, as I explained to you two while you were here and showed you, the bark is literally being fried off of trees on the south side. It's gone. The leaves are being burned off. Uh, this is no joke. and they are, they are literally ripping the atmosphere apart. So HARP, the, those facilities, also the radio frequency from those affects us because we're all absorbing these particulates. It's making our systems more conductive. And so when we're exposed to these radio frequencies, we are an electrical organism. And we can't know the full effect of this. You add this, you know, even the cell phones and all the other electrical exposure we have is being worsened dramatically based on all available data from our absorption of these materials, which more or less makes us like an antenna, Laura. So um, the, the HARP facilities are doing horrific damage. In fact, many people might remember uh, a couple years back when all the birds fell out of the sky. You guys remember that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think we talked about this while you were here, but it happened 34 places around the globe at the same time. And most people don't know that. And this appears to be a direct result of some sort of experimentation with these ionosphere heaters. And then uh, John Wheeler, was, that's a former Bush aide, was seen outside the White House, according to eyewitnesses, saying he was going to blow the whistle on these programs. They found him in a landfill two days later. So, you know, again, this is how the big league works, and this is why they've kept it down so long. But I got an email, or I got a, a message on below one of my articles in the last week by someone who seemed very articulate, uh, stated that they were somehow on the inside, and that I, I'm trying to think of the words they used, that there was, um, there was great or strong support for our effort to expose these programs from high-level places or people. It was something along those lines. And, you know, I can't say if that was a real message from a real person that had real knowledge, but it, it seems so, and I've had other contact from professors from some of the major universities that are involved with these programs that I know are real because I've met them now. So it appears that there's a lot bigger undercurrent of awareness of these programs. There, there, there is. I mean, the scientific community knows, the meteorological community knows. We spoke to a, a Fox uh, weatherman that off the record told us they're being pulled into rooms and told not to talk about this. So it gets harder and harder for them to keep the power structure, to keep the lump under the rug. And I think it's not going to fit much longer. So mm -hmm. for those people that roll their eyes and look at their watch and walk away, not going to be doing that much longer. Mm -hmm. be so, no Dane, here we are. We, <clears throat> you're, you know, in a sense, you're singing to the choir. Um, and and there's there will be people listening to this that are ready to step into action. Now, how is that best to do, and, and what's the best way to approach all this? Now, that's, that's the most primary question, because we have to bring these programs to a halt. And, and this is what I would give it as an example. So few of us have been involved in this, and yet now, uh, by everybody pulling together and people like yourself, we have really raised awareness to a great length. If all of us pulled together, we would have this to the light of day in very short order. And so for people, I, I would say this, if they, if they, had, if they really considered their, their own power in this equation, which is tremendous with the computer and Internet access we have now, there are so many groups and organizations, localized groups and organizations, that everybody in, in whatever their locale should help to find 
identify the proper contacts, get credible data and a source for more data to send to these people and send what I, I call them flaming arrows because you land this in somebody's lap with a film of an aircraft spraying at altitude and, and, and very you know, articulately, articulately and not uh, alarmingly explain to someone that, that there is these, this massive climate modification going on, dropping these very toxic particulates. And if you explain that in, in a, a, a palatable manner and you give them data, you would be amazed at the fires that are beginning to start now with, with people saying, I, we didn't know, we just didn't know. And, and now that ball starts to roll on its own. Now you've started a spot fire. And as, as people continue to send out this data, sh you know, sharing this information and starting these spot fires, those spot fires will merge into a giant blaze that can't be put out. And again, I believe there's clearly, we, we know this to be the case from people we've talked to and interviewed and, and military people, they are definitely being compartmentalized. And if we could simply bring this to the light of day where it could not be ignored any longer and the climate conditions on the ground are making it impossible to ignore, I believe that enough people participating in these programs would refuse to participate, and now we have changed the game. And I think we could achieve that much quicker than people uh, might have considered we'll, if we just reach that hundredth monkey of awareness. So again, the flyers are easy. And, and I, I give this equation, Dr. Dream and Laura, which I use often also. If one person successfully conveyed the information on this subject to two people on the first day of a 30-day month, and those two to two each the second day, and so on for 30 days. That's five and a half million people. And that math sounds wrong. It's not wrong. That's how exponentially the equation goes up. Each two the next day, two each, so that the number doubles every day. That goes from one to five and a half million in 30 days. That's the math. If you don't believe it, do it on your calculator. You'll find I'm correct. That's what it takes. It takes people not saying, well, I can't affect the equation because that's just simply not true. If, if any significant number of us helped pull this yoke, we would have this to the light of day in very, very short order because the word is spreading very quickly. It's being talked about now in more major media circles. Um, again, this is um, this situation with geoengineering and the damage it's done to the planet, the climate can't be hidden any longer. So it, the time to sow the seeds is now because uh, we need to reach as many people as we can before the government comes out and says, well, there, yeah, there is a big climate problem, but guess what? We're doing this to fix it. And, you know, people need to know that this is what has helped to cause it. It's not a cure. It needs to stop. Mm, definitely. Well, how how uh, do, you, do you feel people can best protect their health and sort of handle all this assault, you know, on a physical level? Um, chelation is important. I, I, I'm not a physician, so I don't want, I know a fair bit about this, but I encourage people to go to their local health food facility, a market. Typically, there's people there that know a lot about chelation. Chelation is important to constantly keep uh, freeing these metals up and getting them back out of your system so that they do not bioaccumulate. That's important. Uh, there's some hair testing procedures that are, that are going to be cheap and easy to do on Skyder Alert. This is a man named George Barnes. He's a great guy. He's a friend. And uh, people look up Skyder Alert, I, I think on the site they'll find, uh, if it's not posted, it's going to be posted soon, I think, where you can have your, your hair analyzed for, I believe it's 55 bucks. It's the cost of the lab alone. Nobody's making a nickel. But you can see how much of this metal you have in you. Now, 
actually, if it's in your hair, it, it can be a good thing in the sense that it shows your body is successfully getting rid of it. But it will at least give people a barometer of where they're at, and they can retest later to see how well they've done to chelate. So that's, uh, again, on, it's called Skyder Alert. If you Google that, I think you could find that data. And on the chelation, there's a lot of things that can help free these metals out of the system, cilantro, zeolite, um, chlorella. But it's good to get a, a program laid out by maybe a, a holistic health person at one of the health food stores. But chelation is important, very important. There's a lot you can do to stay healthy through this. But in the, at the same time, we have to, to stop the constant exposure. So it's sort of running and gunning at the same time. But uh, but all pulling together, I think our horizon for bringing this issue to light could be much closer than people realize if we all pull together. Mm-hmm. This is big. So... <clears throat> One of the things, uh, Dane, when we when we met with you, and um, it was it was such a special opportunity because uh, Laura and I were traveling with our children, and you graciously invited us to visit your home, and we met your wife and and your children, um, and it really brought us into just that energetic for all of us how important family is. So. Tell me a, a little bit about, I mean, you know, you, like me, like the rest of us, you know, really want to protect our families. What are you doing, you know, specifically to, with, with your family and stuff, to, to not have chemtrails be an issue and, and whatever's getting into the food, to not have that be an issue? What, what's the highest level we can take this to? Well, I mean, to start with, I, I, I never forget the power of knowing or believing how much my, my system can do to deal with these elements, purge them out of my body, and, and to um, continue to function properly. I try to eat everything I can uh, that's helpful for chelating this on days that are heavy spray days. We try to stay out of it. That's just common sense. Um, but at the same time, we, we know we'll, we'll, we'll keep our attitudes up and so forth. And uh, just like Gosh, when you have children as bright as I was, so impressed with your your children, Lauren, Doctor Dream, Gavin, Garrick, and Maya, and uh, very very exceptional children. And, and this is why we're in this fight, all of us. I mean, uh, we owe them uh, everything we can do to reverse the situation. And by by keeping that attitude up, and I try to instill in them the power they have, the power of one, each of us. And then when we we unite, we have that much more power on top. And um, and we, we have managed to stay healthy through this. And I, I do hear a lot of people that are, that are having struggles, and I know um, that that's, you know, certain things are becoming epidemic with respiratory ailments and so forth. But if, if you truly focus on a, on a regime to eat properly, stay out of it when, when it's uh, heavy outside when you can. Now we have the UV that's a problem as well. And, but take that energy, and this is the most key thing for me. I take that angst I feel when... I, I consider the the heinousness of what is being done to us, and I turn that into something positive. I turn that in. That's the fuel by which I face this problem. So um, it's it's turned into something positive, and I I uh, that's how I deal with it. I don't sit and spin on it. I I take the uh, the energy, if you will, that's built up from what I feel toward what is being done, and I turn that into a a fuel to do something positive to bring it to a halt. Yeah, absolutely. So important. Or else it just gets internalized. <clears throat> so what about um, your thoughts about just 
I mean, our children, fortunately, are very aware. They have, you know, parents that are out there really spreading information and living on, you know, just the highest level as best as we can. Um, but we see in the school systems, we see in the younger generations, just also how they're being snarled into this and sort of, you know, desensitized and medicated. And, you know, any recommendations of what, you know, aware children can do to help, um, you know, handle the school systems and just everything that they're bombarded with on a social level? Or just, yeah, just addressing just the younger generations and the traps they're caught in. It's a great, it's a great question because kids often they they get in this rut of conformism and then nobody says anything. And um, back to the flyers, you know, my kids take flyers in their backpacks, and uh, it's it's not. I don't put any pressure on them to hand them out, but at the same time, they're getting ever more courageous at that. And 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 that's such an easy thing to pass on because it's so straightforward with pictures. It's interesting, and people look, and it's it's scientific. It's got references, and and and. That empowers them, too, because they sense something's wrong. I mean, especially my kids live in my household. You know, I try to shield certain conversations from them, but I'm on the radio uh, multiple times a week uh, and with phone calls with congressional aides now with some people in Northern California. And so they hear things, but, but yet they feel empowered, and I make sure that they know that they have great power to affect this equation and that we, if we don't quit, we can't lose. I mean, uh, our, if we are exercising our will correctly, then... Um, we we are doing everything that's incumbent on us, and we just uh, we we should feel empowered by that, and they do. So uh, they do pass this on at their school. They're they're at a um, charter school, and it's actually common knowledge at their public charter school. This issue is common knowledge. Uh, they because the school curriculum, they it certainly won't allow me to speak on it there, but the, the faculty speaks to me. Um, They've they've shared data amongst themselves. It's an ongoing thing, and and awareness is growing very rapidly there. So, um, again, the flyers are a real easy tool, and and we, we'll try to supply to people who um, can't if, if they can't afford shipping, or the cost of the flyer, which is pretty cheap. I think we could, it, it Kinkos this flyer would cost you, I don't know, a buck to make or something, and and our cost is less than ten cents, and and uh, shipping's not much, and if people can't afford it. Uh, if they need flyers to, to we, we try to mail out as much as we can at our expense. So uh, we just want to get the tools out there. Every day matters. And again, if we all uh, focused on this issue, and I, I know there's a lot of important issues, and sometimes people have a great prob, uh, great difficulty in prioritizing. I would just make this example. If, if the ship is sinking, and geoengineering is the ship sinking, if the ship is sinking, we must plug the bottom before we take the time to polish the deck. That just makes sense. So yeah. uh, people need to prioritize, and this is the issue that must be won or all else is lost. It's that simple. Yep. Wow. So, Dane, <clears throat> I, I would like to just give you an opportunity now. I don't know if we missed um, touching on anything, but um, we'd like to just give you some time right now to – to, to share anything we did miss or didn't ask about or to recap anything or to place more emphasis on, on any of it um, because it, this is just so important. I, I just want to make sure that, that we're giving our listeners as much as we can possibly give them on this. I'll, I'll reiterate to this degree that this has to be a grassroots level movement. The agencies are not going to address this you have this system has been set up over many decades. Even the right down to the weather disseminating agencies, Weather Channel, 
whether central, whether underground, all of these agencies are owned by the same entities that are behind geoengineering. In the case of those weather agencies, Rothschild's ownership is at the head of most of those. In the case of what we perceive to be national agencies like NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and the National Weather Service, they are literally run, their modeling is done by the same people who are manipulating the atmosphere. National Weather Service and NOAA, all their modeling is done by Raytheon. FAA is done by Lockheed Martin, both up to their eyeballs in weather modification. You have the foxes running the hen house. All the agencies are set up not to test for aluminum. In fact, in California, they stopped testing for aluminum in 2002. They don't test for it in anything. And it, it's just uh, it's staggering to believe this is going on, but it is. But that being said, we are starting to expose individuals. We have a website that we'll have set up on geoengineering. Uh, we're working on it right now on geoengineeringwatch.org, a website to expose the liars, if you will, so that we post um, data from these organizations. We just got a, a website or a, an article from NASA that is basically a program to brainwash children into thinking that contrails are or chemtrails or comtrails, you know, geoengineering is just something natural that's benevolent. It's like teaching our kids that chewing glass is fine. Uh, that's how sick it is. And so we're starting to expose these individuals by name with their email contacts so the public can simply let them know how they feel. So we're, we're trying on all fronts to uh, combat the propaganda and at the same time at a grassroots level, this is what people have to remember, if we all work together at a grassroots level, we are already gaining momentum by the day. If we all pull together and people arm themselves with credible data and we all helped shine the light, um, we would expose these programs in very short order, and that's what matters. We can change the flavor of what we face radically. The planet would respond uh, in ways that would allow it to sustain life, uh, and, and we would not be on the track for Venus syndrome, which is the track we are on right now. So. That's all. Uh, it's just imperative that this is a battle we all must focus on, we all must pull together on, and if we do, we will, we will change the equation dramatically, we will radically affect the flavor of what we face, and we will allow the planet to respond. And that's, that has to happen, and uh, there is no other alternative. So it's up to all of us. It's up to all of us. Wow, Dane. Um, just the gratitude and appreciation just that we feel is – Unbelievable, and I know you know that. Um, this has just been an absolutely amazing interview. Can, can you um, let our listeners know where they can find you online and what is next for you on you know, your agenda of maybe shows or events or interviews? Um, yes, we have uh, geoengineeringwatch.org again is, is our site, and uh, that site's possible with a, a saint of a woman named Yvonne Noctegall, who's a very dear friend of mine. It's in, uh, she deserves so much credit. And anyway, our, our, I can be reached to that site through the contact uh, uh, segment on the site. We try to answer as much as we can. Like uh, on some uh, posts we just did on the the most important topic of our time, I think there's seven or eight hundred comments, and um, we can't we can't sometimes make it to all of them, but we try our best. We try our best, and if, if somebody really needs to reach us for something, keep trying. We will definitely try to get back with you, and we're, we're marching as fast as we can. And we're, we're having more join us by the day. And so, anyway, we try to uh, get back with anybody who's trying to reach us. But that's the way to reach us there, Laura. Okay, wonderful. Perfect. Uh, Dane, I have to – Well, wait, do you have some events coming up, anything that um, we should know about? Or will, it, will all that be posted um, on the 
geoengineeringwatch.org site. Yes, we tip big, large radio shows. We typically post Dr. Dream. Uh, I've had big shows on uh, mainstream uh, media, the farm stations in Iowa and so forth, and anything like that. I've had some interesting debates on some of those shows with uh, quote-unquote climate scientists. I was taken off the air when uh, they couldn't refute what, what they were asked, or, you know. What, uh, so it's that's how you know some of the shows go with uh, the people that are sticking to the, their head in the sand. But we do post shows, uh, anything of major significance. We do post on Geoengineering Watch, and we probably have uh, uh, some YouTube video updates in the next uh, six weeks or so. But again, for an A to Z update right now. Uh, Live updated presentation, the most important topic of our time. You can watch us right on the cover of geoengineeringwatch.org. It's on the front page. That's probably the best A to Z that's the most up-to-date right now. Okay. So people can go there and get educated. Excellent. Thank you so much. I have to say that um, you know people that know me know that I look for and find inspiration in all the people that, that, that show up before me. Um, I sure didn't need to look very far to find inspiration in you and from from our family to your family. Thank you so much for welcoming us um, and and uh, your hospitality and and not just opening up your mind, which is so full of everything that that we need to be sharing out there, but for opening up your hearts and and uh, we all felt it and um, we appreciate the connection. And in a bigger sense, we appreciate what you're doing out there and know that at times it's thankless, but um, you know what? It's, um, it's creating the change that, that needs to happen, and um, it, it makes me feel so good that on the forefront is a man like you, um, steeped in family and all that that means, and with such integrity, and, and that... that um, that you're the, the beacon there for, for the rest of us to follow. And, and really, thank you so very much, and thank you for being on our broadcast this evening. I feel the same gratitude, uh, gratitude toward you, Dr. Dream and Laura. I, I, I immensely enjoyed our connection. I'll look forward to the next time. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Dane. Have a great night. Yeah, I knew this was going to be an incredible interview. I mean, that's just a lot of really important information and data that I, I can't imagine anybody wouldn't take seriously if they saw it in front of them and heard this interview. I mean, and that's, that's really it. It's like, all right, people, you know, enough with your head in the sand. It's time to pull it out. Um, and, but, but what I love is, you know, in a sense, what I love is Dane saying that, you know, the results of all this geoengineering is going to force people to pull their heads out of the sand um, and, and you know, because there's no other answer to this. And so while we hit some, some dark spots, you know, in this, in, this, uh, in this broadcast about what's going on and the reality of it, it's, it's, it can all be transmuted and it's up to all of us to step up to, to what that really means. Yeah, and I just don't believe in sugarcoating anything. And, you know, we have to be as real with all this as possible. And, um, you know, whatever feelings it induces, whether it be fear or shock, I, I just love his perspective. And we talked about this when we visited with him. You've got to use it as fuel, you know, because, of course, it's not easy information. Those that are delivering the message, it certainly isn't easy information for them to pass along. It's not easy for any of us to come to terms with 
what's been happening. Um, we all have to kind of go through that level of recognition and darkness and, 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 and all the feelings it brings up, but then use it as fuel and start to make a change. Don't let it sink you. Become active. Become a co-creator. You know, just do what you can with it because this is our planet. This is our home. This is the water we swim in and drink. It's the air we breathe. Our children, you know, are inheriting the future. It's, it's, it's not anything to sit on the sidelines about. And just realize that this information is coming from, you know, someone who holds a very high integrity. He's not making any money off of geoengineeringwatch.org. He doesn't get paid to do any of what he's doing. The flyers that, that people can get, um, they send out at cost. Um, this isn't motivated by anything other than his greatest desire to turn around what has been going on on this planet and what is now, um, you know, at a peak of moment of really affecting um, all of us as beings on this planet and the planet itself. Yeah, totally. Um, so anybody who just can get these flyers and pass them out, uh, I highly recommend it. And it's just, you can put them anywhere. You can take them, just, you know, have them in your car and just drop them off. And, you know, if it's one person that, you know, get, gets interested, uh, they have friends and family that might get interested. It needs to be um, a chain reaction. And it can only be a chain reaction through us because scientists aren't looking at this, environmental groups. I mean, there's nothing under the sun but us, those willing to really see what's happening. And, and like you mentioned, too, there's a lot of really good people that don't realize that they're serving these kind of forces because of the compartmentalism, and they need to uh, be educated as well and start to really open their eyes so that they can stop serving these agendas. Yep, absolutely. So um, I'm hoping everyone shares this uh, broadcast uh, with others and um, you know, gets the word out. Um, it's so important. Now let's take a look. We just have a couple of minutes left. Let's take a look at um, what we've got coming up um, August 9th through 11 in Joshua Tree. We are participating um, in Contact in the Desert. And um, George Norrie, Stephen Greer, David Wilcock, Jim Mars, Michael Tellinger, William Henry, Michael Sala, Jason Martell, David Sarita, Richard Dolan. I mean, the list goes on and on. Of course, you and me, James Gilliland, um, uh, Alfred Weber, uh, Celeste Yarnall, uh, Douglas Taylor. I mean, wow, wow, wow. This is going to be really an incredible event. It is Contact in the Desert, and um, it's in Joshua Tree, and there's a whole lot going on um, with this with this particular event, and we are, you know, just thrilled to to be a part of it. Yeah, we absolutely are. And what do we have beyond that? Well, um, the first weekend in October, we have returned to Atlantis. And this is in Florida. There's only 90 tickets available for this event. I don't know. We've been promoting it for a bit now, so there's no longer 90 tickets available. But um, what, a, what, a, what a great event this is going to be. And you and I are presenting, and uh, Lisa Renee, um, and um, a, a number of other uh, really great speakers, and uh, Helene Lipson and Greg Prescott um, of In 5D Events are putting this together, 
And um, again, it's it's really awesome to watch this unfold because uh, we're working with people that just have the highest integrity and um, are out to, to really have a big impact. Yes, very much so. And then <clears throat> October 11th to 13th, we are in Detroit, Michigan at Awaken Empowered Expo. This is going to be great. We're with uh, Ethan Fox and Kerry Cassidy, Mark Romero, Michael Tellinger again. I mean, this is awesome. Um, and uh, just some other really incredible presenters, and we're excited to be doing this uh, in Detroit. But before all of this, we have something coming up this Saturday night um, in, in Santa Barbara. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, um, it's going to be great. Uh, Michael Tellinger is a dear friend. I just love his work, and we're going to uh, both have a chance to present. It's going to be about four hours, and it's all his amazing stuff, all his latest discoveries. Um, and I would check out uh, just the information we have online and just the, what we have in the newsletter to get more details because I know we're running out of time here. But, uh, yeah, that's this Saturday, the 20th of July in Santa Barbara. Excellent. People can go to touroflove.com and sign up for our newsletter so they get your astrological forecast um, each week and also find out about all the events. And next week we have Celeste Yarnell as our guest, and uh, that will be an amazing show. So there you have it. Yep. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it and invite your friends and share the broadcast. Thank you so much. Good night.